Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. If the Lord will help me tonight, I want to minister on the thought of crushing stress, part three. We're going to crush stress right out of our life. We have gone two weeks into this, and or two different times, and I don't feel a release yet, so I'm going to keep until the Lord says we're done. I believe that stress is the disease of the century. You don't have to amen real loud, but we know stress is a horrible thing. It is a multi-billion dollar business. Are you with me? I want you to turn with me into the New Testament. John chapter 14 is where we're going to take our text from tonight. And I want to share some things that have been helpful in my life and I believe be helpful in yours as well. John chapter 14, in verse 27, the words of Jesus. Don't you love the words of Jesus? The words of Jesus, when he speaks, it's life. Life. And Jesus teaches us in this passage in John 14 and 27, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. So he says right off the bat, I'm giving you something. I'm leaving it with you. I'm giving it to you. When you have Jesus, you have peace. And so he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Everybody say peace. Peace. He is the giver of peace. Jesus said, I came that you might have peace, and my peace I give unto who? You. Look at somebody and say, that's you. He's talking about you. I'm giving you peace. So you have peace. If you are a Christian, a Christ follower, a believer in Jesus, you already have peace in you because he gave it to who? Me and you. If you have received Christ as your Savior, you have received the Prince of Peace. He lives in you. And if he lives in you and he is peace, then peace is in you. So you have peace in you. You will never have peace till you reconcile your life to the Prince of Peace. You can't find peace in Jack Daniels. You can't find peace in bottles and pills. You might find a cope and get a little hope, maybe from some dope. Nope. That's not in my notes, it just flew. Just flew. <laughs> but what I mean is you never have peace till you have Jesus, and Jesus is known as the Prince of Peace. I was thinking, you know, just a few days ago, in fact, yesterday, the storm came and knocked over a part of my fence. It was so windy. It was like, whoa, what did this happen? And I thought about storms, how they can show up. And I want to talk a little bit, an example about that, about even if the storm of a boat that is upon a water, if there's a storm, then you see the storm's effects on the top layer of the water. And if you're in a boat, you are being, you are being buffeted, or you are being, uh, your life is, is being affected by the wind, the waves, the driving of the rain, the rocking of the boat, and all of that. You're being bounced around, it's, it's ripply, it's, it's windy, it's, it's horrible, and I've never been in a storm that I would say that I thought my life was at total risk. I do remember one time we took a cruise and we're walking down the hallway like this because that boat was in a storm and we were rocking with it and people were falling and it was actually quite comical. But... (laughs) You know, have you ever seen somebody fall and you're not supposed to laugh, but the first, 
Have you ever sat next to somebody you're not supposed to sit next to because you know if you just, you're gonna get yourself in trouble? How many know those people? You get laughing at stuff you shouldn't laugh at in public places, right? Well, you know, it's hard when somebody was falling into the wall not to just go up, to just laugh. But I will tell you that my instinct was, you know, to chuckle a little bit because it was funny. I was being affected by the same storm and I was doing that too. But when you, if you, if you investigate way down deep into the depth of the water, it's very calm. The effects of the storms really only dealing with the layer on top and causing a mess. But deep down, it's pretty calm. It's as calm as it ever will be. And so if you will look at yourself like that, there's always something blowing on the surface of your life. But peace is defined as a quiet heart. And so matter what's going on in your circumstances or your situation, at, even in a storm, a believer can maintain a quiet heart, a settled peace, a rockabye baby in the treetop. <laughs> you can have a good night's rest because of the peace that lives within you. Now, I'm just gonna say that I believe that it's easier for some people than other people to, to hold on to that peace and to talk about that peace and to say, well, I don't know why you all upset. It's easier, I think, for some people to just carry that peace than it is for other people. And, and maybe that's not fair. I'd like to think that it's not even fair because God creates all of us differently and all of us are gonna react differently and I can't believe that so-and-so can just breeze on through a, sleep right through a tornado. And, and you ask him in the morning, did you hear that storm last night? What storm? They just slept right through it. And maybe that's not fair because he kept you up all night. There's something each of us have to deal with. Can I say it like this? There's something that's hard for everybody, everybody's got some place in their life that it's a difficult situation. For some people, it's very easy for them to just cast their care upon the Lord and never worry again and never be moved about things again. But some people, on the other hand, they're just like hanging on to everything by their fingernails and all the time upset all the time bothered and, 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 and disrupted. So it has not been easy for them, but I still believe that those folks can learn to have a quiet heart. We are made differently. So you can't sit here and be sanctimonious and judge your neighbor. Well, you just don't have faith because you're getting all tore up. For some people, it's just more of a process. They got to process it. But that doesn't mean they can't walk around in peace. Oh, come on, somebody. Here's, here's what I believe. I believe that whatever the word is preached on, there is power to bring deliverance. To people that in that area, because there's power in the word, and it, no matter who hears the word, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. We all process the word in different ways because God made us differently. But when the word comes forth, there is deliverance because there's power in the word. So tonight and, and in this series we've been in on crushing stress, I'm expecting that bondages are going to be broken off people and deliverance is coming. Not magically, not poof be gone, not blink your eyes and it's over because stress is still going to be there. Mm. But something is going to happen in you. <laughs> something is going to be broken. Something that has been uh, hard in your life, you're going to receive a revelation from God and say, I don't have to live like that anymore because the peace of God is going to surpass all my understanding. <laughs> 
Now, I want to give you a couple verses if I can. Look at Matthew chapter 11, and I'm reading verse 28 from the Amplified. And the Bible says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden and overburdened, and I will cause you to rest. I will ease and relieve and refresh your souls. You know what it sounds to me like? It sounds to me like he's saying, I can teach you how to live without stress. Come unto me if you're laboring, if you're overburdened, if you're heavy laden, I will cause you to be at rest. I will teach you to be refreshed. I will teach you to be at ease. It sounds to me in the invitation of come unto me that he is teaching us how we can live without stress. Then we go to verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am gentle, meek, and humble, lowly in heart. And you will find rest, relief and ease and refreshment and recreation and blessed quiet for your souls. I strategically chose the amplified version because I just wanted to bring this out in, in just a different way than the King James. When I read these two scriptures, they prove exactly what I've been trying to say in this entire series of crushing your stress. We just read in 28, ring 28 up again. It looks like that all we need to do is just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus and he's gonna make all this happen. If you come to me with your laboring, you come to me with your vexed mind, you can't sleep at night mind, your burden and overburden, he said, if you just come, I will give you rest. And you know, we would just take that and say, yes, here I am, Jesus, do it. Do it, Jesus. I came because you said to come, and here I am, just do it for me. And that's wonderful. But then you have to go to verse 29. Then he says, not only do you come, he said, now I want you to take. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Say, learn of me. So when he says, I want you to learn of me, okay, I'm gonna show you how to have ease, how to have relief, how to have refreshment, how to have, verse 29, recreation. But you're gonna have to watch how I live and then you're gonna have to follow me and learn to do the things the way that I do them. It's not a just accepting the invitation to come, now it's taking upon him, taking his yoke, and learning how he copes, learning with how he gets through life. Oh, come on. Here is the term yoke, and I, and I give you an illustration of these oxen because I wanted you to understand that when Jesus uses the term yoke, he is talking about yoking up with him and this is the picture that I wanted to show you because what it means is you are yoked up with someone else. Now, this is called a yoke of oxen and you see that they are connected together because now they are pulling together. Not just one person doing all the pulling, but two, the Bible says, are better than one. So we understand that there is a yoke of coming together. In fact, it is the anointing that destroys the yoke of bondage. Bondage that has been yoked up in your life. On the other side of the bondage that is yoked, there is a victory that is yoked. Because Jesus said, take my yoke up on you. In other words, I will pull. I will, you will pull now with me. You're not having to do this on your own. Come on, somebody. Jesus is literally saying that if you stay yoked up to me, attached to me, I will pull you through life and it will make your load a whole lot easier than what it is right now. But now we want to understand what Jesus is saying. And there's another analogy to this we could use. He is saying, stay so close to me.
Stay so connected to me. Stay with me in every situation and watch closely to see how I do something and then you will follow me in that way and you will not have to live under stress all the time because you are learning how to live under my yoke. I'm pulling you through. I'm walking you through. You are not alone. I am with you always, even to the end of the world. I've got you and you're gonna learn how to live a stress-free life where stress does not put you in the hospital, where stress does not bog your mind down, stress does not overtake you, overburden, overladen you. You are learning how to live stress-free because you are now taking his yoke and watching how he lives and you're learning how to live in victory. And, And I wanted you to see that because I believe it's important to understand the yoke. Do you know, in my opinion, a good prayer, a wonderful prayer is for you and I to say, oh God, teach me your ways. Show me how to not be troubled. Show me how I don't have to chew my fingernails down to the nub, worrying over my bills, worrying over what sister hoop and diddle said about me. Show me how that I can live and not be overcome. The Bible said that the Israelites saw the acts of God, but God taught Moses his ways. You got to hear this. Israel saw the acts of God, but Moses was taught the ways of God. He learned how to walk with God. He learned how God operates. There's a difference between just seeing the acts of God happen around you on a Sunday night or a Wednesday service or once in a while when some miracle shows up. You see the acts of God, but wouldn't it be so much better if you learned the ways of God, where you learn how to walk with God? See, the Israelites wanted the miracles, and there are many people who want the miracles. God, make this go away. God, change my situation so that I don't have this pressure in my life anymore. But Moses went deeper, and I'm asking Bethel to go deeper. I'm asking all of us who named Jesus to go deeper to say, God, whatever the circumstances do, whatever you let them do, but whatever's going to happen, teach me your ways. Teach me how to handle it the way that you would handle it. I don't want just to see the acts of God. I want to learn the ways of God so I can walk into situations and have a strategic thought life and a a strategic mindset to know how to channel my way. Come on, everybody. We're trying to go up a little higher. God wants to take us up. He said, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. You've got to learn how to know the ways and the thoughts of the Lord. If we don't come up higher, We'll spend a large part of our life trying to change the people around us so that we don't have stress anymore. I said if we don't choose to come up higher, we will spend the majority of our life trying to change folk, trying to make people become what we want them to become because how they live in is working on our nerves and adding stress. But if we don't come up ourselves, we too busy trying to change other folk. If you didn't like the way your spouse did something, then you're out here trying to change your spouse. You've been trying to change your spouse for 15 years, getting into traffic and gridlock, sleeping on the couch, pouting, going quiet on somebody, being cold and indifferent. It's quiet in here. You don't like the way your spouse does something because so now you're trying to change them because they add in stress to your life. And you know you love all your kids. Come on, somebody. But you don't always like all the personalities of your children. You love them, but you don't always love their crazy personality, especially when they're rude or disrespectful. And maybe you've got one that you're having trouble with right now. It's because they just like you.
So you're trying to change your spouse? You're trying to change your kids? You're trying to change your coworkers? You're trying to make your ministry grow? You're trying, you're trying, you're trying, you're trying, and it just isn't working, and you're stressed, and God doesn't want you to change everything around you. God wants to change everything in you. He may not change everything around you, but he sure does want to change everything in you. I know I just made somebody upset. You'll get over it. God is trying to change you. He has to do a work in you before he can do a work through you. Come on, somebody. God doesn't want to change all my circumstances just to suit me and that I live, end up living some cushy life where it never rains on my parade. I'm always tiptoeing in the tulips on cloud nine headed for 10. I never had a bad day. No, 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 that's not how it works. He wants to change me. He wants to change me. He didn't mean follow me around and let me make your life amazing. That's not what he meant. He meant watch me and learn how I handle stress and how I handle pressure. Come on to me and take upon yourself, learn of me and watch how I operate and I will teach you, I'll teach you how to live a stress-free life. Now before we go any further in this wonderful message, in a few moments I'm going to read from Psalm 32, but I want to talk to you for a minute about guilt and condemnation. I believe that there are people here today and people watching online that you're just like I used to be. You literally feel guilty pretty much almost all the time. Always feel guilty. Mm. And matter of fact, you don't feel right if you don't feel wrong. I've discovered there's a lot of people that live like this, that live just like that. You grew up feeling guilty because of what someone in your family did to you. You grew up feeling guilty because what other people on your job did to you. You grew up feeling guilty because of how people done you and you have carried it all your life feeling guilty. Walking around with guilt, even after you confessed your sins, you still felt guilty. Mm. That is stressful. To confess your sins and then still carry around guilt and condemnation. It puts on stress in your life that God never intended for you to carry. I'm preaching to somebody. And I want you to listen to this. There is nothing more stressful than walking around with the burden of something's wrong with me, why can't I do things right? There's something wrong with that. If you are always walking around thinking, there's something wrong with me. I can never seem to get it right. And I know people who have this vague feeling in their life that God is mad at them, that God is upset at them, and God is trying to pick them off that God is not satisfied with them. I feel like preaching to somebody, but no matter what I teach you in this series on crushing stress, if you don't get this point, then everything else in life will just do you in because when we're already feeling so beat down and so bad about ourselves because we can't do everything just right, then anything that comes along sets us over the edge. Anything that happens in our life that we didn't plan for, it's sets us over the edge and we get stressed out and we explode on everybody in our life. Reminds me of the pressure cooker that my mom cooked with. I found this on the internet. It almost looks just like the pressure cooker that my mom cooked with. Do I got anybody that knows what this is? Anybody ever seen this thing in action? Some of y'all would be like, is that a, is that a microwave? (laughs) 
I don't know if people use these as much as they used to. When I was growing up, but my mother had a pressure cooker, and I tell you, it was a fierce pot. <laughs> it was dangerous to be around it. Are you here? It was dangerous. When she had put stuff in that, she'd put this lid on it, and then she'd turn it and seal it. And she had this little, this little temperature gauge in there that just sat in there where the steam came out of. And, it, and, and the more that she, it got hot, the more that thing rattled and got noisy. It sounded like a bomb was going to go off in the, in the kitchen and everything started moving around in there. And I just remember my mom saying, don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. Don't you touch it. You get away from the stove. Don't you touch it. And there are people that are just like this pressure cooker. Are you hearing me? You have all this stuff going on in the inside and no matter how spiritual you look and no matter how many times you go to church, a week you still have all this mess going on inside of you what's wrong with me why can't I do anything right why don't nobody like me does anybody know what I'm preaching about tonight you're dealing with all this stuff come on is, is there anybody that y'all looking too innocent I know people who are always exploding they get along with everybody until someone gets on their nerves and then they just explode over the simplest little things because they have not learned how to manage and deal with stress and they just explode on people hear me it's not your circumstances the majority of the time it's what's inside you it's not what happened to you it's what's happening in you and sadly, because we don't know how to deal with the pressure, we explode on people in the supermarket. Road rage behind our wheel. Get out of my way! Don't point at anybody, don't breathe heavy, don't even grunt. But how many know people without pointing that are just like this pressure cooker? <laughs> I saw one sister point at herself. Amen. Go ahead, sis. So you got to learn how to change in your life in order for you to move forward in Christ. And remember something. We are not perfect people. We are imperfect people, and that's who Jesus came for, was imperfect people. And there is none of us that have ever got it right every time, every day. We've all come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned and come short of the glory. Come on, we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And the Bible talks about you can sin in your thoughts. You can sin in the word. You can sin in deeds. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And maybe, you had, maybe today your thoughts weren't very beautiful. Maybe even coming here you got into it with somebody. But thank God you can learn how to cast down those thoughts so they don't take you over. Let me give you a scripture. Turn with me to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 verse 1 said, Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is he who has forgiveness of his transgression, continually exercised upon him whose sin is covered. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man to whom the Lord imputes no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. The Bible says in King James, no guile. Verse three, when I kept silence before I confessed, my bones wasted away from the groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand of displeasure was heavy upon me. My moisture was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. In other words, pause and calmly think of that. Are you ready for verse five? I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. Now he had just got done saying in verse three and four, I kept quiet, didn't confess it, and this is what it did to me. But in verse five, he says, I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, continually unfolding the past till all is told. Then you instantly, instantly forgave me 
the guilt and the iniquity of my sin. Pause and calmly think on that. He said, when I confess, Brother Tim, he said he instantly, instantly forgave me of all my guilt and all my shame and all my iniquity. He instantly forgave me, not just of the sin, don't miss it, but the guilt. He gave me, forgave me of all the guilt. Instantly he lifted it, not just the sin, but the guilt too. Let me ask you a question. If God removed our sin, then what is there to still feel guilty about? You and I don't have to live under condemnation. I don't know, sometimes I think, you know, we have this religious mindset and, and we, we, we religiously hate ourselves. Well, I'm just no good, Pastor. No, listen, you put on the robe of righteousness, lift your head up and know that you are the head and not the tail. God loves you above and not beneath. You're anointed by God. You're not ever going to get rid of the burdens of stress in your life if you don't start having a right attitude towards yourself on the inside. So if you don't like yourself, then the best that you'll ever come to terms is the rest of your life, you're just gonna be there in that funk of not liking yourself and not forgiving yourself. And if you can't even get along with you, then getting along with everyone else is gonna be rough. And even if this isn't you, you're thinking of someone right now. Did somebody need that? I hope so. We have to learn to get along with ourselves. And until you fix yourself and you get along with yourself, you're never going to get along with other folk. Oh. So Jesus said, come to me and learn of me. Come to me and learn of me. One of the first things that Jesus teaches us is to receive his forgiveness and not to live under condemnation. Now, there are four things that Jesus did to manage stress. Four things. First of all, you say, did Jesus have stress? I mean, for goodness sake, everywhere he went, somebody was trying to kill him. <laughs> And he didn't even live in Indibu. <laughs> I mean, we don't even have to list all the things, do we? I mean, Judas betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denied him. Talk about a bad day. You and I haven't really had that bad of a day. So I would dare say that he had to learn how to walk through stress. So number one, he trusted himself in everything to God. Now some of you are all stressed out over stuff that you cannot do one thing about and only God can do it if you give it to him. So you need to leave it and let it go and give it to God and that includes your past, that includes your future, that includes your kids and everything else. You've got to give it all to God. Now Peter said in 1 Peter 2 and 23 about Jesus, when he was reviled and insulted, he did not revile or offer insult in return on Facebook. Oops, I mean, that, that's not in there, but I'm just saying. <laughs> when he was abused and suffered, he made no threats of vengeance, but he trusted himself and everything to him who judges fairly. That's what Peter said about Jesus. And I love that scripture because what I get, God, it's up to you. Whatever happens, God, it's up to you. If I don't get it, then there must be a reason. If somebody mistreats me, then I'm not gonna waste my life hating them. I'm gonna trust you to take care of every situation. 
You have to learn how to trust God in the small thing because actually trust is the answer to all your frustration. For you to put it in the hands of God and say, I trust you. You are trustworthy. I don't have to try and trust you. You are already trustworthy. You have already proven yourself trustworthy. Has he proven himself to anybody in this room? You don't try and trust God. He's trying to trust you. So we understand that Jesus trusted himself in everything with God. If this comes or that comes, whatever, I'm trusting you. I'm not going to spend the rest of my life being angry and trying to hurt folk. Number two, the second thing that Jesus did was he prayed. And you know, Jesus, he was, he was always kind of wandering away from the crowd and praying. Be like, where did he go? He went up to the mountain. He got out on that boat. He's over there on the shore. He always had a way of escaping the crowd and finding a place to pray. He got up early to pray. Sometimes the Bible said he prayed all night. And I'm not gonna take time to turn to these scriptures, but do you remember when he was in Gethsemane and he was preparing for what was gonna be the most difficult time of his life and and, and anybody else who was associated with him. And the Bible said that he asked his disciples to pray with him. He asked them, would you pray with me? And when I read the Bible, and the Bible says that he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John, and, and while he was with them, the Bible said that he began to show, hear this, he began to show great distress while he was with them. And the Bible said that this is how he expressed himself to those three, Peter, James, and John. Those were the same three that were privy to the miracle when he raised the, the little girl from the, from the dead. He was the same three that went with him up to the mountain when he was transfigured in front of them. So at some point, Jesus felt like he could let his raw emotions. You gotta have some people in your life that allow you to express your raw emotions without recording it and using it against you and blabbing it all over town. Are you here? Where you got to be able to say, this is how I'm feeling. And the Bible said, oh, hear me, that when he was in that garden, before he went into the innermost of the garden, he said, would you pray with me? And he said, I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling stress, in grief and distress. And, and you know, we don't have to do everything we feel, but this is how he felt at that moment. He said, my soul is sad. I, I'm grieved so that I'm almost dying of sorrow. Now stay here, he said, keep watch with me. I'm counting on somebody to help me through this. Christians, we need one another. I'm counting on you to help me through this situation. And then the Bible said that he himself went a little further. And he went in a little further and when he came back, he found that they were not awake. They were not praying. They had drifted off to La La Land. They were asleep, but one of the things that happened that enabled him to go through what he went through when he slipped away from them is that the Bible said that the angel of the Lord came and ministered to him and strengthened him in his spirit. And I feel like preaching to somebody when everybody forsakes you and you have no one to lift you up, the spirit of the Lord will come and raise you up and comfort you and put his arms around you. I'm preaching from experience. When I walked in the valley and I felt so low, and I didn't have anybody to pray with me and I couldn't express how I really felt. Along came the Holy Ghost. Oh, I'm so thankful for the Holy Ghost. He will keep you. He will comfort you and bear you up. Excuse me while I get happy this evening. One of the things that happens when you pray is God strengthens you. 
God strengthens you. He enables you. And prayer doesn't mean that God, you know, that God gets rid of what's bothering us. Prayer doesn't mean that he makes the prognosis go away. Prayer doesn't mean that he turns things over. But many times it's he chooses prayer in that prayer to strengthen us and enable us to endure it with a good attitude that says, I will trust the Lord. And I stand before you tonight and tell you that it took me a long time because I did not want to have to endure. I wanted God to get rid of it. Amen? Here's the third thing Jesus knew how to do. He knew when to be quiet. Look down your row and say, this is the part we've been hoping you would hear. Who said she couldn't smile and laugh on a Wednesday night? He knew when to be quiet. John chapter 14, verse 30, Jesus said, I will not talk with you much more. For the prince, the evil genius, the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. (laughs) He has nothing in common with me. There is nothing in me that belongs to him. He has no power over me. I'm reading all this out of the Amplified tonight. This was just my go-to this evening. But I love this because he said he has no claim on me, nothing in common with me. There's nothing in me that belongs to him. He has no power over me. But the Bible said when he was addressing his disciples, I will not talk with you much longer. Now you know... I've taught on this scripture a lot over, I've been preaching for 35 years. I've heard my pastor preach from this. It amazes me that the Bible even says in the book of Isaiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 53, for those that you would reference that, the Bible said that he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and he opened not his mouth. And I wonder how many times we've read that and did not understand fully what the Bible was saying. Because do you know how hard it is to keep your mouth shut when you're under pressure? And we need to learn this. Come on, Jesus, take my yoke. Take my burden, my heavy laden. Jesus says, well, yoke up with me and then watch how I do it. I'm not going to take you out of this. I'm going to teach you to walk through this. Because you've got to master this in order to go to the next level. If you keep running from church hurt, the same similar situation will pop up in the next place. Ooh, it's quiet in here. And I know about church hurt. But if you keep running from marriage and relationships... It's going to keep repeating itself till you master what's in you. This good teaching anyhow. Preach in there, Pastor. So we're looking at how Jesus handled the most intense, stressful time of his life. And the Bible said that he opened not his mouth. He was quiet. And he told his disciples, he, he purposed to say, I'm not going to talk with you much right now. And we'll stop talking to you. You know what we would do? If Pastor Jesus stopped talking to us, I ain't going to that church no more. I ain't got a text. I ain't got a phone call. Ain't nobody called to check on me when I had my toe surgery. I ain't ain't doing it. I ain't doing it. I ain't putting myself. I deserve better than that. He knew I had the chicken pox. I didn't call and let the elders know, but he should have known in the spirit if he's so spiritual. (laughs) Pastor Jesus didn't bother to call me. He sent one of his deacons. Can you believe the nerve? How much tithe I've given to that church? 
I know we laugh, but we know people. That's just their mode of operation. He said to his disciples, I'm not going to talk with you much right now. He might as well have just said, you know, this is a very difficult time for me. The enemy is really trying to fight me. So I'm not going to open my mouth and say something I shouldn't say and give him entrance into my life. Can I say that again? So when I'm going through something, I don't get on Facebook. I don't tell all my spiritual friends. I don't tell the YouTube theologians. I don't put emojis on there that say, I'm feeling sad. So someone will say, what's wrong, boo-boo? Oh, I really can't say. Then why are you posting it? If you can't say it, put it down. You're looking like a clown. Put it down. A fool utters his whole mind. You don't have to tell everything. Because if you open your mouth, you're going to let the devil have an entrance. And he's going to run in like gangbusters and take over everything in your life. Because you just didn't know how to keep your big mouth shut. Preaching and look down the row and say, I know this is for you. I know it's for you. How many of you are glad? I'm serious now. I'm really serious. How many of you are glad Jesus didn't open his mouth? I find this very interesting in Matthew chapter 27, verse 12 through 14. I'm almost done here. It says, but when the charges were made against him by the chief priests and elders, he made no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many and how serious are the things they are testifying against you? And he made no reply. Sometimes the best thing to do is say nothing. It's hard to say nothing when you're trying to convince people that you're a good person. It's hard not to say something when you're trying to defend yourself. But you just don't understand. You've got the wrong idea. Be still. Jesus made no reply. He made no reply again before Pilate and Herod and was silent when they accused him falsely. Now, I'm not saying there's never a time for you to speak up for yourself. But a lot of times it just makes matters worse. Jesus was on the cross, and it amazes me that he was on the cross for five hours and 59 minutes, and during that time, almost six hours on the cross, the record of what he spoke was a total of 41 words in the Greek and 51 words in English. In six hours, it took him approximately one minute to speak 51 words so for five hours and 59, 59 minutes of the time that he was on the cross, he was completely silent. There was no selfies. Almost six hours, 41 Greek words took him just over a minute to say them. For the remainder of the time, he said nothing. Here's the fourth thing. And I believe it's a stress reliever. He quickly forgave. He quickly forgave. This is how you release stress. Let me just give you a hint. If you want to have a stressed out, miserable life, then just go ahead and stay offended. Just be offended at everybody. Just go ahead and keep saying, well, you know, I just can't help it. I'm just touchy. I'm a touchy person. I get my feelings hurt easy. Stop it. Stop it. You overthink everything. You're worried about this person. What are they thinking? Go to sleep. Anybody can get their feelings hurt if they want to. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And on the cross, and surely, if he could forgive people for that, then you and I can overcome some of the day-to-day -day things that happen to us. Now, one of the things I will say to you, you can forgive somebody, but doesn't mean you have to yoke up with them again. You can love them from the balcony. Access to your life is a privilege. And if somebody has showed you who they really are, I'm not saying you don't forgive them. 
You have to. But that don't mean they have instant access back into your life. Block them and move on. I have the gift of goodbye. I've been good to people. I have been good to people. I know who I am. I know what my character is. But if you want access to my life and I want access to your life, then character counts. Don't get up here and want me to pray and lay hands on when you, you've talked with, about me like a dirty dish rag. God don't, and it, and it don't matter me, it could be any of us. You just can't live offended and you've got to forgive quickly and it will cross stress. I'm here to tell you tonight, you can relieve every stressor in your life. You can. Everything you think is causing you stress, you can release it. If you stay full of guilt, if you stay mad at people, if you keep worrying about what everybody thinks about you and you got your mouth going all the time, all the time your mouth just won't stop, then you're going to be stressed out. And you're going to think everybody's against you and you, all this going on. Let me tell you, I'm going to give you one more scripture and I'm going to close it. Acts chapter 24, verse 16. I want you to look at this because I think this is a great scripture. The apostle Paul said this. Therefore, I always exercise and discipline myself, mortifying my body, deadening my carnal affections, bodily appetites, and worldly desires, endeavoring in all respects to have a clear, unshaken, blameless conscience, void of offense toward God and toward men. I love that. Paul said, look, I worried at this. I had to change the way I live. I worked on this. It's not something that just falls on you. Something you have to get up and do on purpose every day. Amen? Every day, I'm going to have to discipline myself. Every day, I'm going to have to say no to my flesh. Every day. So I believe that we can have the goal to crush stress and not let it creep up into our life. If you're not careful, you go to a church like this or any church and you'll get offended because someone didn't smile. You'll get offended because someone looked in your direction and they didn't even see you. They were looking, maybe their mind was overwhelmed with thoughts about their goals or what they were trying to do and you took it offensive and said, well, they, they were cold to me. They didn't say hi. Something's going on. And then you start letting the devil get in there and you start having vain imaginations and you start saying, well, here's what I'm gonna do next time I see them. And then you come up and you, then the Lord deals with you after you've talked to two or three people. Now, I'm just telling you because you're my prayer partner. No, you gossip. You enjoy carrying the mail. Telephone, tele, telefax, telegram, tell Tammy. You gossip. Come on, somebody. Smile at me. Just like to talk too much. And all these things, and then you say, and here's how I know when someone's been talking about me. Their kids won't look at me. I'm not, I'm not even lying. The Lord show you things. Won't he, Pastor? People have patterns. Here's how you know that they'll come up and say something like, I need to apologize to you. And you're thinking, what? For what? You have no clue what they're thinking. You didn't even know they were upset. But they let this thing fester. Do you know you can be in a house like this and be offended? Offended at your brothers and sisters? Offended at your pastors? And wonder why your children, your life is like it is. When I came to serve with Pastor Hill and be on his staff at his church, he took a, a gamble on me. He allowed me to serve with him. And there were so many times that he had to get me by the ear. <laughs> I lived in his home. My cousin Kish is here to testify. He had, to, he had to deal with me. 
he had to set, you know, what they, they would say it like, you know, you dust somebody's britches. And then they would say things like we had a come to Jesus meeting. Right. Have you ever heard of that? I had a choice. I'm going to get offended at this man or I'm going to sit at his feet and catch the oil. Because I, re- I knew he really loved me. He had to be stern with me. And I, and I didn't. Pastor was, Hill is a loving man, a loving pastor, a loving shepherd. But when he took on the responsibility of stewarding my life, he, he meant it. And if I can't receive correction from the man of God, then that's going to follow me no matter where I try to go. Because I got huffed and puffed and thought of myself more than, bigger than I should have been. There come a season in your life that I remember when I first went to serve with him that I wanted to be jumping up, playing music and doing all that. He said, I just want you to sit. I was like, sit? I, I've got ants in my pants. I want to do something for Jesus. I've got a calling on my life. <laughs> he said, I just want you to sit. I thought, I was so upset. So I thought, this is it. This is not what I signed up for. I didn't move here for this. What would I have done had I not just sat there? He said, I need you to learn things a different way. I need you to observe. I need you to catch some things in your spirit. Because everything I had brought was all I knew till then, but I needed to learn more. And I had to make sure that I was open. And then slowly he began to release this to me. And have me do this and have me do that. And then bring me in. And then along the way, he'd still have to correct me and say, no, don't do this. Why? Uh, God, why is he being so hard on me? He's hard on these other pastors or these other young preachers. I didn't really know he was hard on them too. Because discipline isn't something you do to a person. It's something you do for a person. It's to deliver their soul. Now, if myself or Pastor Bev have to correct anybody on this platform and they get mad and they get huffed and puffed, then they didn't have the right spirit in the first place. Any of our staff or whoever, if we have to say something kindly, hey, I need you to address this, deal with that. If they, if they huff and puff and act like, then they're already in the wrong. Not because I'm in the right. I may be in the wrong and I've had to apologize to my staff and say, hey, I didn't handle that right. Because we all have to learn to live together. But we have to learn how to come under. And when you learn that, it lifts stress off of you. If you get mad and, and get territorial and get an attitude, you are delaying what God wants to do in your life. And God wants to do an accelerated work, especially in this last day. Let's bow our head for a minute. God... Do a work in me so you can do a work through me. God, thank you for pastors and spiritual fathers and mothers and leaders in my life who continually speak strength and and, and wisdom and counsel. And God, sometimes it isn't even the things they say, it's the spirit that they operate in that I can catch. Hallelujah. Help me to live free from this stress, to crush stress, to quickly forgive, to pray, to surrender everything to you, God, to learn how to be quiet, to wait on you. Help me, God, not miss any steps along the way and then end up stressed out over everything. Because Lord, if I don't get something right from the get-go, everything will from this ripple will be affected in the natural, emotional, the mental. I've got to deal with me. I've got to allow you to speak to my heart. I must come unto you at that open invitation, come unto me. I must come to you with my load and my heaviness. I must come to you and give it to you. And then I have to take your yoke upon myself.
I have to learn. I have to watch how you handle it. And folks, as we're saying this tonight in prayer, God will put spiritual leaders in your life that you can watch how they handle it. And it will help you. It's learning. It's learning. It's growing. It's maturing. And like I said, all of us are imperfect. None of us have got it all together. We're all imperfect people. But we are striving to be a submitted person, a surrendered person, a person whose heart is pure before God. We don't have ought. We don't have any type of jealousy or envy. We don't have any type of cringing. We don't have anything. We don't avoid. I mean, we just are walking upright in heart. And you may be here tonight and you have allowed something to that is hindering your walk with God. It's hindering your relationships in this church. It's hindering your relationship in your home. It's hindering the flow of God's oil in your ministry. I would say tonight, every one of us need to deal with it and give it to God and crush this thing once and for all. I want the altars are open to anybody that wants to come and kneel down and pray. All around this room, if you want to find you a place to pray, but I want you to get real, and I don't want you to just do it because I tell you to. I want you to do it because it's in your heart to do it. Search your heart. Search and see, is there anything that is hindering my flow? Is there anything that I've held on to that I should have let go a long time ago? I should have released this thing. God help us today. Come on, let's pray. Let's find a place to pray. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Bethel Family Worship Center. 